Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture comes from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33. Now the human one comes in his majesty, and all his angels are with him. He will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side, but the goats he will put on his left. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and benevolent God, I pray that your spirit would flow around and within us no matter where we are this morning. As we are gathered together as the body of Christ, as the community of faith, that your spirit would bring peace and light and hope and truth that we would open our hearts and our minds to receive your leading, your guidance, so that we may follow you with all our heart, so that we may allow our lives to be transformed by your love, and that we would indeed be the vessels who shine light into our broken and hurting a world. Lord, take these words that I have prepared. I lift them to you. Take the words from Matthew 25 and let them speak what we would need to hear. We ask all this to your glory, Lord. Amen. When I was younger, I would think nothing of working all day and then hopping in the car and driving all night. Now, I don't do that anymore. Um, I learned a few lessons along the way, but I heard a story that that caught my attention about this activity that I once partook in. Uh, There's a guy who was driving all night. He had to be somewhere, and, and it was a long night. And when morning came, he realized he had far to go and he was weary. He was tired and he was worn out and he knew he needed to find a place to rest. So the next city he came to, he found a park and he found a place that looked like it would be a quiet place to rest and get some sleep. Although he soon discovered that although it was quiet looking, it was not what it appeared to be. As he was beginning to settle in, he heard a knock on the door or the window, and he was jolted awake, and the person outside was jogging by, and he didn't know the time, and he said, sir, do you know the time? He wanted to help, so he looked at the clock and the the radio, or rather the car, and he answered, it's it's 8.15. The jogger was polite and, and thanked him and then left, hoping he could now get some rest. He settled back to sleep when there was another knock on the window, and this time another jogger jogger said, Sir, do you know the time? And he said, 825, 
Again, the jogger was polite and thanked him and continued on. He realized he had not chosen a place that was quiet, but one that was highly trafficked. And in order to get some rest, he had to let people know that he didn't know the time. So he found some paper and he wrote on the, the paper that I don't know what time it is. And he put it on the dashboard so it could be seen through the window. And as he was settling back to sleep, another kind-hearted jogger came by and knocked in the window and said, Sir, it's 8.45. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter how hard we try. We just can't seem to win. I mean, some people might call this experience Murphy's Law. I suspect we all know it. If anything can go wrong, it certainly will. There's also a corollary that even if you think nothing will go long, go wrong rather, prepare and plan for it anyway. There are times we meet people who seem to just have more than their share of bad luck, don't we? We, we call them incompetent, if we're not feeling so kind, we may refer to them as losers. I mean, because after all, I mean, I've been told since I was a boy, winners make their own luck, right? And yet by faith, we believe that in God's eyes, there are no losers, don't we? With this in mind, I want us to consider about what this means when we think of ourselves or anyone else, for that matter, as a loser. I mean, we all like to be winners, but at the same time, I think we've all experienced loss or losing. Scott Sandage wrote a book called Born Losers, A History of Failure in America. And in this book, he talks about the 19th century institution called the Mercantile Agency. This agency employed informants to file reports on the creditworthiness and reliability of their neighbors. According to Sandage, this 19th century agency was a, like a national bureau of standards for judging winners and losers. As he went through the history of this agency, he found a file on a man named William Henry Bisbane. Bisbane operated a business in Cincinnati in the 19, 1840s, rather. An informant of the Mercantile Agency reported that Bisbane had failed in every occupation he had ever tried, which include farming and publishing and even practicing medicine. Now, I'm not sure how these three go together, but it was the 1840s, so I'm going to let that one slide. But in this report, this person also predicted that no matter what this man would ever try to do, he would ultimately fail. And the evidence of this conclusion was the fact that this so-called loser who had inherited $100,000, which was a vast fortune in those days, had lost it all in an extremely short time. Sandage was intrigued by this story of William Henry Bisbane, so he poked around and dug a little deeper and he found out that Bisbane actually had been a successful plantation owner in South Carolina. Although through a change of heart and conscience regarding slavery, he sold his plantation and he moved. When he had received this inheritance, he took the entire amount, every penny, and found the slaves that he had once owned, repurchased them, and gave them their freedom. 
I suspect this one who the mercantile agency labeled a loser in God's eyes was something entirely different. You know, often as we hear these words from Matthew 25, and we just read the first few verses, they seem to be setting up yet another example where there are clear winners and there are those who are clearly losers. But I ask you, as you go back and maybe look at these, in fact, I encourage you to go back and look at these verses, beginning at 31 in chapter 25 and reading through 46, and hear what Jesus is actually saying. Ask yourself, ask the Spirit, is this really the intent of this message? What do you hear and what will you hear as you read them? We are in the midst of that wonderful time of national election campaigning again, where those who are running are doing all they can to win our vote. They tell us there's only one clear winner. So I wonder if this time might not be a good time to reflect upon our ideas and understanding of who truly are winners and those who some might believe are not. In other words, I want to invite us to do an assessment of our ideas about winning and how we make these decisions. And I want to begin with the idea of what we call or how we understand when we say that we have been blessed, when we are a people, a person, a family who is blessed. I read the story of a minister whose name was Max in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. His ministry was to work with those who are homeless, who lived in the streets of this community. And, and through his work, he met a man named Archie. Archie suffered from severe gout and could barely walk. And yet every day, seven days a week, he was on his corner selling the Fort Lauderdale newspaper. Selling the paper was how he survived. It didn't matter if he was feeling bad or sick or tired, rain or shine, Archie sold papers. He did so because he rented a small one-room apartment by the week. And he depended on the sales of the paper for the rent, to buy some food, and to pay for whatever he might need. One day when Max met Archie, he could see that Marchie, Archie rather, was filled with a joy and excitement that he had not seen. So he wanted to check it out. He wanted to see what was going on in his life, this one who had become his friend. Archie, in his excitement, said, Max, you got to come and see my apartment. Max had not been to his apartment, and he was hesitant to do so, but he felt the nudge within his own heart of the Spirit saying, go. Go with him. When they arrived, Archie opened the door, And he told him that he had been saving his money. He saved it so he could finally make his apartment what he wanted it to be and what he hoped it always would be. So Max looked in with a sense of wonder what that might be. Inside this small one-room apartment, knowing that Max had been saving his money for a long time and he had spent all he had saved, he saw an old sofa that was ripped and torn and the stuffing was bulging out. He saw an old TV in the corner 
with a homemade digital antenna that Archie had gone to the local library to learn how to make. As he scanned the apartment, he also saw a recliner that was wedged between the sofa and the wall. These were all of Archie's worldly possessions. And Max was aware that he had saved a long time to have anything this nice. Max turned back to look at his friend, and he did so. Archie said, isn't this amazing, Max? I have all I need now. I have everything I wanted. Can you imagine that? As he said that, Max noted something else, or rather someone else. In the recliner, there was another person. It was a man that Max recognized. He, too, lived on the streets in Fort Lauderdale. Max turned to Archie and rather cautionly and maybe even surprised and asked, what is he doing here, Archie? He was stunned by his response. He said he needs a place to stay. Now that I have all I need, don't you think that I should share? Hmm. Let me ask you, do you have everything in your life that you need? Now, I didn't say everything you want, but do you have everything you need? Because if you do and you are a follower of Christ, there's no way in the world that you could ever think of yourself as a loser. At least you can't if you are as smart as this man named Archie, who when asked about this house guest, knowing how little he himself had, at least in the eyes of most, he said he needs a place to stay. And now that I have all that I need, don't you think I should share? I'm tempted just to leave that, that statement, that question hanging in the air, because in many respects, that's about as haunting a question as I can imagine, given the full nature of these verses in Matthew 25. But I ask us to reflect on our priorities and our understanding of what it means to be blessed in the light of this teaching of Jesus. You know, as you and I hear the stories on the nightly news or as we tune into our daily dose of news on the internet, we may find much to be troubled over, much that brings fear and anxiety into our lives. I wonder, though, as we listen to these other things, wait, may we allow these teachings from Matthew 25 to also enter into these reflections and the running conversation in our mind, within our hearts and our spirits as well. I wonder if we might ask ourselves how we might be called to understand winning as living our lives and sharing our blessings by following Jesus and serving others as a reflection of our love for God. Can we not begin to see the truth that winning doesn't really happen when some of us don't have what they need while others have more than enough? That in itself is a question that haunts us. Can we truly say that some of us are winning when there are those around us who do not have what they need, while others of us have more than enough? I'd like to share one more story with you. 
Its story is told by Jim Roberts, who is a family therapist in Kansas City. Roberts was visiting the fourth grade, fourth grade class of his son, Daniel. And, and during the visit, the teacher said it was time to head outside. They're going to play a game. And the game was called Balloon Stomp. Now, for those of you who don't remember this game or may have never played it, it's where everyone has a balloon tied to their ankle. And the object of the game is to obliterate everyone else's balloon while keeping your own balloon secure and safe. Because as soon as somebody stomps on your balloon, you're out. And at the end of the game, when everybody else's balloon hangs limp and tattered, there is one who has a balloon that's intact. They are declared the winner. As Jim watched, the teacher gave the signal and the kids leapt ferociously upon each other's balloons while trying to protect their own against the onslaught of their classmates. That is except the one or two who, who seem to lack a spirit of competition. They seem disinterested in all of the hullabaloo and their balloons were predictably laid to waste immediately. In what seemed to be only a few seconds, all the balloons were obliterated but one and a winner was declared. But then something happened that caused Jim to, to really question what was going on. Another class was joined by this one on the playground, and Jim noticed immediately these children would be what we would call developmentally disabled. The teacher told them that they would be playing the same game. As the balloons were tied to their legs and they were briefed on the rules, Jim said, as I watched, I got this growing knot and this sinking feeling in the pit of my gut. I didn't want to see these children go through this. I wanted to spare them from this competitive brawl but his concerns were short-lived. Because you see, at first, these kids seemed to have no idea what this game was about. And after a few moments, the idea came across to them that the balloons were supposed to be stomped, and that caught on pretty quickly. But as the game got underway, it was clear these kids had missed the spirit of it. They didn't mind having their balloon stopped. And in fact, Jim said he saw one girl carefully hold her balloon out so a little boy could step on it. And then he did the exact same for her, him, excuse me, the exact same thing for him as she stepped on his own balloon. When all the balloons were gone, the entire class cheered in unison because in their mind, they had all won. In the original game, only one child could win. But in this new way of playing, everyone won. In a normal balloon stomp, as well as many other aspects of life, we as participants are alienated from one another. It's me against you and you against me. But the way these children played it, the game was an occasion for camaraderie. As you think about these words from Matthew 25, which version of the game do you think Jesus would have played. Now you may be thinking this spirit of cooperation is somehow un-American. I encourage you to read the works of William Edwards Deming, an American engineer and mathematical physicist as well as a management consultant who advocated a management style called the total quality movement, emphasizing the benefits of collaboration. In his work, he used similar stories and then added the question, why does someone always have to lose? 
Why does someone always have to lose? I encourage you to take some time, whether as an individual or as a family, to read these verses in Matthew 25. Verses 31 through 46, talk about what you hear in them, what you see their call is to us as the followers of Jesus. Because in these minds, rather in my mind, these words, like so many of his teachings and the ideas that Jesus expressed, turns everything you and I know and experience in our lives upside down and inside out. In all three synoptic gospels, Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 13, Jesus informs us that those who often think of, we think of as being winners or the first and the most important may indeed find that they are in fact last. And those who are often labeled as last or of lesser importance may very well be the true winners. There is so much that is unsettled right now in our lives and in our world. And I realize as well as these times and this teaching are hard to hear and hard to reconcile. And yet I wonder if this time, in the midst of all that we are facing, if this is not a good time to reflect upon our understanding of what it means to be and who are true winners and who are not. I wonder if this is not only a good time, but it's a critical time, the right time, the best time. If we are to move through and beyond where we are by doing an honest assessment of our lives and how we live, to evaluate and assess our priorities and how we look at and treat those around us in such a way to live more fully into the faith we say we believe in our effort to create a better world through what we seek to do and how we live our lives each day going forward. As we ask ourselves, who are the true winners and losers in our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.